Welcome to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.thepastormax.ng. Great to see everyone this morning. I'm trusting the Lord that we will have um, a good time in the Word, learning from the Word this morning. Thank you, Lord. How many of you enjoyed the Wisdom for Living series? Did you enjoy that? Alright. And I hope that um, in the Wisdom for Living series, we've been able to make certain adjustments um, to our life where we need, especially in the area of order, priority, Bringing things into proper perspective uh, is concerned. You know, any knowledge not acted on will not produce results. And so it's important that whatever knowledge the Lord enables us to see in His Word, that we act on it. Praise God. Alright, are you, are you ready for this morning? Let's, let's say a word of prayer together and then we will get into the Word. Father, thank you because I'm anointed to teach. Thank you because your people are anointed to receive. And together our faith is built up in the knowledge of the person of Jesus. I pray that light and understanding will come forth in and through your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. In the course of this month, I, we will be doing what we call the apologetics series. And essentially, uh, my aim is to help... Uh, deepen your theological understanding of the Word of God as we talk about the Christian faith in defense of the Christian faith. Very many times uh, we, we find people having challenges with the church, uh, sometimes because of bad experiences, and people begin to form various theologies for themselves. And uh, sometimes some people have met with pastors who are not honest and their response is to go against the church. I mean, so sometimes you have former Christians who come against the faith. Or you have people who say, well, I'm the church. I don't need to go to a local church. Or you have people who say, well, I'm now serving God in my house, or I'm serving God in my mind, or I'm serving God with my family. And, and people come with all kinds of uh, theology in response to heart, that's one. Or number two, we have people also who were never believers, and uh, they don't know how to respond to the Christian faith. Or we have people who were taught to be believers, raised in a Christian home, but went into the university and got converted otherwise, and they're no longer strong believers. And so I'd like to do very basics of why we need to know what we believe, especially in our day and in our age, where... Not only are there all kinds of uh, philosophies going on out there in the world, 
Unfortunately, even in the pulpits, we have all kinds of doctrines going on that are not consistent with the Word of God. And so I'm trusting the Lord that in the, in the next couple of Sundays throughout this month, we would be able to look into the perfect law of liberty and see certain things. And the last Sunday, we'll talk about the reliability of the Scriptures. Why do we believe that it's the Word of God? We would look at things like, why are the things that Mark wrote they're slightly different from Luke or John? How do we know the Bible is the Word of God? Is there a historical evidence to it? Um, can it be proven that it is the Word of God? And the reason I want to do this is because in as much as we are passionate about God, our passion alone cannot sustain us. They have to be convictions and depths about the Christian faith. Unfortunately, we're losing a lot of young people uh, because they have embraced all kinds of theories and things flying out there with, the, with social media. People have access to all kinds of stuff to read. And sadly enough, not many Christians spend the time to study their word. And so whenever anybody uh, puts up something, then, you know, Christians just buy into it. Because unfortunately, again, in the Pentecostal sector, we're not raised with studying of scriptures. We're raised with emotional messages, one verse, a whole lot of story. And uh, we find ourselves where like I always say, we have bath theology and African magic, and those two are very dangerous combinations. Alright, so for instance, you know, so many concepts that people need to investigate. Someone, I was sharing with someone the other day, and you know, for instance, we talk about uh, the Holy Ghost fire, and I was telling the person that you cannot find in the scriptures one sentence where Holy Ghost fire is together. What you find in the book of Matthew is that I'll baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. It's two separate things. But, you know, over the time, people came up, started saying, Holy Ghost fire, Holy Ghost fire, and people pray that because after you've listened to that on Sunday morning and then you watch an African magic film where somebody says, Holy Ghost fire, the demons burn, he says it again, he burns, he says it again, he burns. If you mix your African magic and your bad theology, you come out with a Christian who is doing things outside of the Word of God. And so it's important that we get back into the Word. So, what is apologetics? The word apologetics appears 17 times in the New Testament. It's from the Greek word apologia. Apologia means to defend or to stand in defense of. It's not to, be, it's not to apologize for the faith. It is rather to be able to do what? To defend the faith. So it, 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 it's from the word defense. It's more like when you go to the Greek, you know, in those days you go to the court and somebody brings a reason, then you bring another reason. You know, you bring a reason, you bring another reason. That's what it means, a defense. Now, the word is taken... Let's go to First Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. So this is going to be very, very basic. Very, very basic. Uh, you might know some of the things I want to share, but we need to remind ourselves again. First Peter chapter 3. And verse 15. Um, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense. That word defense there is the Greek word apologia. 
A-P-O-L-O-G-I-A uh, it, It's the word for argument or explanation Argument or explanation It says always He wasn't just speaking to pastors He was talking to all Christians Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you To give an account for the hope that is in you Yet with gentleness and reverence He says we should always be ready to make a defense To make an argument, to make an explanation For the reason, the hope that is in us But we do this with gentleness and reverence You know sometimes you see believers on social media trying to argue a case And it's all emotions flying left, right and center It becomes quarrel You know the, the man of God must not be quarrelsome, including the sons of God. But here Peter is saying that when we sanctify the Lord Jesus in our heart, that's not enough. We have to be ready to make a defense to everyone who, who asks us to give an account or a reason for our hope. Because many times as we go on, there will be a lot of attacks against the Christian faith. You know, if you say today, for instance, you're a pastor, it's almost like saying you're a policeman in Nigeria. You know what that means, right? You know what it means, right? Yeah, it's the truth. It's the truth. And we are, we are almost as Christians being boxed into a place where we can no longer talk about our faith. And I'm going to talk about that because sometimes what we call tolerance is just being... Being ashamed of who we are. The French poet Fred Nietzsche, the 1900s, wrote an essay. It says, God is dead, and we killed him. And sometimes you can find his murky shadows in people's life. And I'll show you from scriptures this is not the first time that people come against Christianity. All over, all over. From the beginning of Christianity up until today, we've always had this subtle attack against the Christian faith. And unfortunately, even in our churches today, most believers are not trained, are not disciplined, are not taught to be able to put up a defense for the faith. Because many people in church just do things without even understanding what they're doing. And you know, the minister will end it up and say, well, this is a mystery. You, you cannot understand it. It's supernatural. Well, the Bible, even though it's very supernatural, it's very logical. The scriptures is rational. The scriptures is intelligent. The scriptures can be understood. The Bible can be defended. The existence of God can be defended. You have people who come and say, well, God didn't create the world. And it's amazing. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created. It, it's, 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 it's just amazing how the Lord starts the scripture with this very first line. Because one of the biggest arguments against the Christian faith is that God didn't create the world. We all came here with a big bang. And then you would ask people, well, if we all came here with a big bang, how many times have you seen things scattered and so orderly arranged? Have you ever thrown things on the floor and they were all so neatly arranged, layer upon layer? You know, and then I find it very interesting today because I see, I mean, and this, this, 
this really came to my heart to start doing it in our local church because I find it interesting today, especially when I look at. Uh, um, I, I mean, I'm sorry to say this if you do that, but no apologies. Uh, I look at the status of believers, and you see them quoting Mahatma Gandhi, quoting uh, Krishna, quoting all kinds of people, and even referring to, you know, people say, do good deeds so that the universe would bless you back. And then they do that and put the universe and God in the same place. And that's a form of faith. There are people who believe that there is no God, that we all just have this wonderful universe and Mother Earth, and if you do good things, the universe will respond back to you. And you see, Christians talk about karma, alright, and they treat karma like that's what the Bible says when you talk about sowing and reaping. And, And unfortunately, in a very subtle manner, Christians are pushed into humanism where they become the center of their worship and not God. And that's why it's important that we get back to the scriptures and we investigate what the scripture says. And we'll, we'll hopefully, by the grace of God, answer questions like, are Muslims are Christians serving the same God? Because you hear people say, well, it's just Allah, we're serving the same God. And I think one of these Sundays I would answer the question, is a morally good person? Saved without being a Christian, will he be saved? Will he get to heaven? Because we have people who say, Well, he's just good. I've even seen people say, Well, I'd rather just deal with a good Muslim than these hypocritical Christians. And you know, when they say that, they say it with a sense of pride because they don't also understand why it's important for someone to be saved. So I'm hoping that that this month of August, uh, the word of God will come alive to us in a different way. Say, Amen. All right. Now, if you go to the New Living Translation, it says, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain it. That means our hope in Christ can be explained. Our hope in Christ can be explained. But we do this with gentleness and respect. Defending the Christian faith started way back. In the days of Justin Matar, Christians were being accused of being atheists due to the fact that they did not embrace the pagan religion. You know, Rome had a lot of gods. And so, the first time that Christians were terribly persecuted, in fact, Christians were called atheists. Now, atheists is someone who doesn't believe in God. And the reason Christians were called atheists was because they did not believe in the plurality of the Roman gods. And so they were persecuted at that time. And so the faith had to be defended. Now, they did not worship the emperor because the emperor needed to be worshipped. They were accused of sedition. Uh, It was Nero who (laughs) set fire in a part of Rome and accused the Christians of burning down Rome. And that was the reason for the persecution. And that was one of the reasons uh, during the, the, the reign of Nero, a lot of Christians were persecuted and, and thrown into jail. Okay, now let's go to Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. Colossians 4, 6. It says, Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So one of the things you must learn as a child of God is to respond to each person. Okay? How to respond to each person. You know, people will come with all kinds of questions and you need to learn how to respond to them. 
in, in, in our world today, you find movies coming out, you know, especially from the Western world. You see movies coming out that portray Christ, you know, as a gay person. And you find these movies released. We need to be able to stand against those stuff. Uh, just, just, just last month, one of the biggest denominations in England uh, passed the fact that, you know, they could, you could have gay marriages. And um, what that actually means is that you could have gay priests, you could have homosexuals and lesbians as pastors and priests and, 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 and couples in the church. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with that? And these things look far-fetched until uh, we begin to see them very close by. And we will now come to the place where we now accept all kinds of things because our definition of tolerance is whatever is right to you is okay. And we've come to a place where we have subjected Christianity to a subjective view. What it means is that if this is fine with you, it's fine. If this is fine with me, it's okay. God says I shouldn't judge you. Don't judge me also. And we have moved Christianity from a place of absolute truth to relative truth. And, 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 and I'm sorry to say, ministers didn't also help because in our bid for church growth, we lowered the word of God, you know, went from teaching the word of God to motivational speaking and spent time on Sunday mornings teaching people how to make it and all kinds of stuff. And then we, we raised a generation that is not abreast with the word of God. Sadly, many people do not even know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They cannot relate to the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. And so you see people who pick things from one testament to the other and don't even know where the line is or the dividing line is, which is the fundamental of the Christian faith. Understanding the covenant. That there's a covenant in the Old Testament and there's a covenant in the New Testament and the dictates of this covenant are absolutely different. Having said that, the word of God is absolute. Truth has to be absolute. I've given these examples before. You know, sometimes you see people post that and then they, they put a number six and it will say, somebody standing there. What do you see? The person says, what? I see nine. And then another person standing here. What do you see? The person says, what? I see six. Then you see, not all, both of you are correct. Both of you cannot be correct. You know that? But you know that's how we're living right now? That's how we're living right now. Both of you can't be correct. How do we find out who is correct? We find out who wrote that thing. The person, of course, did not write 6 and 9. He either wrote 9 or he wrote what? He wrote 6. Do you agree? So if we can find the man who wrote it, we can find what he wrote. Then we can know who is wrong. That means we cannot have moral... Moral absolute, except we find the creator. And if humanity can deal with the fact that there's no creator, then they can remove moral absolute. Because if we find the creator, then the creator will tell us what are the absolutes. Are, are, are you following what I'm saying? And this is very important. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 9, I'll just show you a few scriptures. Titus chapter 1 and verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to exalt in sound doctrine and refute 
and to refute those who contradict. In apologetics, there are majorly two arms. There are those who, what we call positive apologetics, those who give a reason for the faith, and then what we call negative apologetics, those who, um, um, positive apologetics is more like when you're on the offensive, you're giving a reason for the faith. Negative apologetics is more like where people bring out their claims and you have to refute them, like what Titus said. Those refute those who do what? Contradict sound doctrine. I saw uh, uh, someone sent me a video of a, of a minister who was teaching. I mean, I don't know what he was teaching. I don't know where he got all of that from. But he was saying that, you know, sex before marriage is not bad and explained a couple of things. And, you know, just explained a couple of things there. Of course, it's, it's delusion. Uh, because what you find out is that everybody now picks up the Bible and teach what they want to teach. And, and when you question what they are teaching, they'll tell you, well, that's the rema that God gave to me. That's the revelation that the Holy Spirit gave to me. And especially in the Pentecostal faith, it's something that we need to be careful of. Because what we find out is people just come, carry the Bible, take one verse of Bible and do what? And just throw it around and teach all kinds of things and mobile all kinds of things. And say, well, this is special revelation when the Holy Spirit showed it to me, you people were not there. The scriptures were not meant to be approached like that. And I'll show you next Sunday how Paul approached the scriptures. How they even preached salvation. Their preaching of salvation was not, was not rash. It wasn't taking one story and compelling people to get born again. Their preaching of salvation was methodical. It was logical. It, it was history. Uh, I mean, it was history coming together, pointing facts to that, that Jesus was the Messiah. It wasn't just somebody standing up. Even on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost came, if you read the, 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 the sermon of Peter on the day of Pentecost, it was right from David down onwards to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. There is no time where the Lord has allowed people to step on the pulpit and just to teach their experience and teach something they call revelation. The, the, the Christian faith has always been propagated by methodical, logical teaching of scriptures. And that's where Pentecostal churches need to come back. Because the way we are going, we're going to lose more people from the faith than get more people from the faith. Because what we've done in Pentecostal churches is to drop our reasoning and just run ahead. And then people are not giving any reason for whatever they're doing. And they just say it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not mad. You have people drinking coconut oil, drinking all kinds of water, sprinkling Ribena in the name of the blood of Jesus. You have all of these things. And people say, well, it's a prophetic act. And we keep accommodating because it's giving us results. We cannot, for the sake of prosperity, increase and breakthrough, throw our faith away. We cannot. And I want to appeal to every one of you seated here this morning. You need to rediscover your convictions of the faith. You need to get back. And we're not using the Bible just to get something from God. But we're studying this Bible so we can know who our creator is. Can you say amen? amen. Alright. When we read Peter's declaration on the cornerstone of Christianity. What's the foundation of Christianity? First Peter chapter 1. Are you getting something this morning? Alright. You know, sometimes they ask you questions. Ah, I don't know. I will send it to my pastor. You shouldn't be that kind of Christian. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
I mean, it's not wrong to send questions to your pastor, but you should be a Christian who is able to explain and defend what you believe. Have you heard people say, where well, we are the church. You know, I'm the church. Even if I don't go to church, I'm still serving God in my house. Have you heard that? Come on, have you heard that? There is nowhere in scripture where one person is referred to as the church. One person is not the church. Collectively, we are the church. When people get upset, they, they just form all kinds of theology. You know, people get so angry with the church and then they leave the church and those are the most difficult people to talk about the Christian faith. Because they say, we have been there. Don't mind pastors. They are thieves. <laughs> and so when Daddy Freeze came, he liberated a lot of people. You know, that, you know, that was a big shame to the body of Christ. Because we are Christians that were able to say, somebody's teaching the truth. You know, it's sad, yeah? You know, if, if, if it was to be like in a church like this, it wouldn't even be a problem. Because people had problems with that. Churches where pastors are talking about tithe every Sunday morning. As if that's the, that's the only thing Jesus came for. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You know, someone asked me the other day, what do you think? Is tithe Old Testament or New Testament? I said, put it wherever you want. If you really understand what God has done for you and you're a grateful believer who is trained in the word of God, you cannot even be giving 10% of your income to God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So the problem is not the percentage. It's something deeper than the percentage. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? So if, if you go about with the, um, the 10%, of course, you know, we receive tithes here. But if you make that as the, the biggest thing, you know, and you teach tithe like, you know, I mean, and you do that, when somebody comes and says, you know, you've heard people say, I'm not giving my tithe to church again. I'm going to give it to widows. And what people just do is they just form a theology of what is convenient for them. And that's why it's important that we open the scriptures and we see what the scripture says. Let's look at the foundation of Christianity. First Peter chapter 1, verse 16 to 22. 21. So what I'm going to do, uh, I know um, most people say, well, the Bible, you're reading from the Bible. So the first three Sundays, I'm going to just teach from the scriptures. And then the last Sunday... We're going to talk about why the Bible is reliable. So I'm going to talk about how the Bible was composed, how some books made the Bible, the books that didn't make the Bible, why you find some stories are slightly different. I'm going to talk about the history and reliability of the scriptures because that's what two things people contest a lot is the reliability of the scriptures. And they say, oh, it's some men that wrote it. You know, uh, are you not sure they wrote stories they want you to believe? Or number two, people say, well... Um, you know, there's no God. Well, of course, a lot of people don't... don't. <laughs> a guy said there was an atheist on a plane and they were going and then there was turbulence. The plane was about to crash. And they were like, oh God, help me. Oh God, help me. And then the guy turned and said, but a few minutes ago you said there was no God. Alright? So, I mean, people don't push that so much, but people push the reliability of the scriptures. And another thing people say is that, well, Christianity is white man's religion. You know, because Americans were the ones and British were the ones who really brought the gospel to us, but it's not, the Christianity didn't start in the, in the U.S. Alright? It's more of a Middle 
Eastern uh, use the word religion for now but it's more and that's why if you read the Bible with an American English perspective you would miss a lot of things because the cultural setting for the Bible is, is more Arabic is more Middle Eastern that's the more cultural setting so if you understand that culture it's a bit easy for you to understand the scriptures but you know it's difficult for us because most of our films are American most of our studies is British so we use our British and American mind and English mind to read the scriptures and you know that can pose a bit of an issue okay first Peter chapter 1 let's read from verse 16 and let's see what the Bible says as we look at the two the two foundations of the Christian faith first Peter 1 16 because it is written you shall be holy for I am what Holy. Alright, next verse. If you are dressed as father, uh, come on, first Peter one seventeen. Okay. Sorry, just give me a moment there. Alright. Let's let's go to yeah. Because the reason you shall be holy, for I'm holy if you are dressed as the father, the one who impartially judges to each one's work, conduct yourself. In fear during your time on earth. Sorry, got my scriptures wrong. Let me check up something here. Second Peter chapter one, that's not what I wanted. Second Peter chapter one. Sorry about that. That's not what I wanted. Second Peter chapter one. Verse sixteen. For now, please pay very close attention to, to this. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales. Please note that, underline that if you have that in your Bible. We did not follow cleverly devised tales. Alright? We made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. So observe that word. Cleverly devised tales, observe eyewitnesses. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from the heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Now this is very important because Peter is saying, we did not follow cleverly devised tales. That means, what we are preaching to you was not tales that was cleverly put together, but that we were eyewitnesses on the holy mountain when the Lord said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So, the, one of the fundamentals claim of the Christian faith is the fact that they were eyewitnesses not only to the deity of Jesus, but to the resurrection of Jesus. So, there are eyewitnesses. Now, this is very important. In many, in, in so, some religions, you do not have credible eyewitnesses to who the founder is or who the God is. But here we find out that Peter says very clearly that what we are telling you is not cleverly devised fables. We are eyewitnesses. We heard that voice. Then he goes on to say, And we ourselves, verse 18, heard this utterance made from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain, so we have the prophetic word made more sure 
to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Our biggest problem today. It's not subject to your own interpretation. And I give this example all the time because it's easy to relate with. If I call anybody here now and I say, well, I want to come to Bonnie Island on the 20th and I'll need a booking. Right? Does everybody understand that? What do you understand by that? <laughs> booking. <laughs> well, get on the energy book, get a space. You understand all of that, right? But do you think, come on, talk to me. Do you understand that? Alright, but do you think if you meet a guy in Lagos And say, well, I want you to come and visit me And I'll get a booking for you Do you think he would understand Of course, leaving airplanes out Do you think he would understand what you're saying what, Don't you think Many years down the line Somebody will say, well, that booking actually means That if you are traveling to Bonnie, carry a lot of books Do you think somebody can say that? Yeah, do you think somebody can say that? And the person say, but that's what I understand by it. Now, what you understood, is it correct? That's it. The Bible will not say today what it did not say yesterday. The scriptures was written to be interpreted. To be interpreted. To be interpreted. It's not written for you to just say, ah! I saw this. Wow. No, it's, me, it's meant for you. It's a library of books. That is why, listen carefully, they never attempted to preach salvation without referring to the Old Testament. You see, Peter says, as it was written, he will quote Psalms. As it was written, he will quote Joel. The, the, the preaching was meant to be scriptures upon scripture, line upon line, precept upon precept. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Church is more of an educational center than an entertainment center. But you know, education is, it, your mind has to be involved, you have to write, you have to take notes, and people don't like that. <laughs> Yesterday as I was preparing this, you know, in the night, I, I took like five books, went home, I was reading a couple of books, just reading. You know, and my wife was like, ah, for the one message, I said, yes, I need to read all of this. So I now told her that that's why a lot of people don't also do this. Because, you know, it's easier for me to come this morning and say, anything the enemy has put on your life, I remove it. I, I, you are getting there. Your tomorrow is bright. You know it's easy. You know even if I don't study, I can do that, right? This is a new month. New things will open up for you. New, I mean, and, and it's just laziness everywhere. Yeah. Because... Even you, it doesn't put demands on you. That's why you can walk to church and not even document anything. Because what I just expected to do is I receive, I receive. And as far as your two hands are okay, then you are, you are fine. And you know the root of all those I receive, I receive, is money. Am I right? Let's be honest now. All your prayer points, what is it? It has the issue. All this prayer, fasting, this one, is just money and poverty. That's the truth. But you now ask yourself, and you see the funny thing, right? That's what began to happen in Europe. That's what began to happen in Europe. When European nations were formed, America and all of those people came together, America was formed as a nation, one nation under God. 
They were all formed seeking God. But when prosperity and advancement and increase began to come, what happened? They relaxed. That's why you realize that for some people who are here, when they relocate, after a while, they say, are you people Christianity in Africa is too serious? What are you praying about? What are you praying about? You know what has happened again? Comfort. Because all the prayers in Africa is about what? When you are traveling, you pray that you will not die on the road. Eh? Even if they bring light, you pray that the light will not blow your socket and kill all of you. So everything is prayer. Now, by the time you now go to a nation where everything is working, what now happens? You stop exactly. Because again, you were not even taught why you should pray in the first place. You know here, when you want to do church program, you pray for generator that should not go off. That demons that are holding generator. How many of you pray those prayers? That the demons hold... In campus, we used to pray it. Lord, as we are doing this program, the generator will go off in the midst of, Until one of our alumni came and he saved us that by buying a new generator for us. It was that day we discovered that it was not demons holding the generator. Why were we praying that demons should leave the generator alone? That's what our prayer secretary handed over to us. We didn't even bother to check if it was old generator. Just say, you see, I've discovered something in this campus. Every time we want to do a major program like this, every time, generator will pack up. Demons don't want us. I say, yes, sir, yes, sir. And it was simple. Later, we understood it. Huh? Every time we're doing a major program, we rent speakers. We rent, you know, bigger equipment. So the generator was so old, it cannot sustain what we have. But if it was a regular meeting, our amplifier was small. So it's just simple. The things we were renting during programs were heavier than the generator. It wasn't a demon. I I, I fully want to say that. So when you now go to the place of comfort, if you're not careful, you will just feel that, yeah, it's not worth it anymore. And science will begin to replace God in your life. Now, two things Peter said. He says, we're eyewitnesses of, the re- eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Then he now says, no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So, what you see essentially there is that Peter is telling us that, listen, the things we read in the scriptures were not just written by human will. This is very important, saints. The two foundations, the two, one of the two, there are many more, one of the two critical foundations that the Christian faith rests on is, number one, the eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus, and what? The fact that the scriptures was written and men God moved men to bring forth the scriptures. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay. Now, in, 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 in verse 16 of 1 Peter, go there again. Verse 16 of 1 Peter, it says, We did not follow cleverly devised tales. Now, go to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and see what Timothy said there. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. He says to Timothy, my true child, in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urge upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus. Look at this. So that you may instruct any men not to teach strange doctrines. 
You must instruct any man not to teach strange doctrines. Not to pay attention to myths. Observe that word. Not to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than forging the administration of God which is by faith. Hmm? And this is one of the reasons why we need proper Bible teaching. He says, don't pay attention. What are those strange doctrines? Myths and endless genealogies. Someone is born again, but you want to trace, you know, have you seen where he said, we want to trace your spiritual roots. And look at it. It's endless. Endless genealogies. What happens to this? The Bible says, it gives rise to mere speculation. Mere speculation. And it does not, it does not cause you to have faith. It does not further the administration of faith. You are born again. You are now a child of God. You are accepted in the beloved. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Instead of accepting that by faith, you are looking for altars in your father's household. Speculations. It does not further the administration of God, which is by faith. Means. There is nothing that that, that gets to my call Like when believers are gathered together On a Sunday morning And all they are being taught Is curses Somebody will gather you on a Sunday morning And be, and be explaining How you are cursed Endless genealogies and myths You know You know They'll read the Bible says the, the, the iniquity of the fathers will come upon the children. Right? Huh? And they stop there. The very next line. Not even the next verse. The very next line. Says, and his love to a thousand generations to those who love him. So the first question I ask people is, do you love God? Say yes. Then you don't qualify for the curse. You qualify for his blessing. But you know why they won't read the next line? Because the next line negates the very thing they are trying to teach you. And you too, you don't take Bible to church. So once they say, say, mm-hmm. Mm. You know, have you heard this thing? Have you heard people say this thing that there's something called near success syndrome? Have you heard that? Huh? Anytime I just want to do something, I just want Throw that thing away. It is a lie. Let me tell you, all of us in this life, there are many things we have attempted to do when we are almost about to complete it. It didn't work. It is part of human life. You bid for a contract. A contract that 600, 600 people bid it for. You are not the only one there. You are not even the only Christian there. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And you hear this myth and this, and they teach it to the point where you believe it, and you'll be looking for what is not lost. It says, what this does is that it gives rise to what? Speculations. It does not further the administration of faith. Where is your faith in your Christian work? Hmm? That we have turned Christianity almost. You know, we, we repackage it as almost African traditional religion. It's either we have a bottle of oil or we have handkerchief. Hmm? You know why? I'm, I'm going to say this. You know one of the things I'm very careful of 
If you observe, I'm not saying this, but I'm very careful of printing things with a ministry name on it. Because people have a way of idolizing things. And nothing is sin. I must tell you, it is sin. Because we give power to the creator, creatures, rather than the creature. Before you know, it's either the wristband of one man of God, or the necklace of one man of God. How is that different from amulets and charms that we got delivered from? How is it different? You are born again. The blood of Jesus was shed for you. Yet, you must go everywhere with the picture of a man. Why? Why? How did we get here? How did we get here? The scripture tells us that there is no mediator between God and man except the man Jesus. And then you will wear bands, you will tie necklaces, you will wear... How do we reduce the sacrifice of Jesus to bottles of oil, black currants, and, and coconut water? How do we reduce the work of Christ to these things? You know, I was telling my wife, I said, my greatest desire now is for God to give me the opportunity to go teach in Bible schools. So that the pastors that are coming out, we can have all these discussions before they come out. That's why people are carrying broom to church. Cain to flog the devil. How do you use Cain to flog spirits? You know, it, 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 you will laugh, but you know, for some of us it's not different because gas is cane, your own is, is wristband. It's just that your own is more portable. Your own is sticker everywhere. And this is the reason why we need to investigate the faith. Because we, we not, listen to this, we not only have to defend Christianity against people who don't believe in Christianity, we have to defend Christianity against wolves who stand in the pulpit and take advantage of God's people. And Paul says that. He says, when I leave, ravenous wolves will come. That is, greedy men will stand on the pulpit and use the word of God to hold people in bondage because once you are in fear and in ignorance, then <laughs> let's look at this. Now. Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. Second Timothy three, sixteen to seventeen. All Scripture. If we look at verse fifteen. It says, "And from that childhood." You have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. So the sacred writings which are the scriptures are to give us the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Our salvation is faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture... All scripture here will be referring to the Old Testament. All scripture is inspired by God. We'll talk about this the last Sunday, Sola Scriptura. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. Praise God. Come on, are you here? All right. What are the two 
things that Christianity stands on. Number one is the apostolic witness of the resurrection of Jesus. People, listen, this is very important. People saw the resurrection of Jesus. Now, why is that important? There is no religion in this world where its founder claims resurrection. No religion. There is no religion. That the founder claims that they were resurrected. One of the things that stand Christianity from every... Permit me, I'll be using the word religion in the course of this teaching, but you understand what I mean? Christianity is more of a relationship than a religion, but I'll use that for the sake of our teaching. One of the things that stands out that makes Christianity reliable is the fact that the one who founded Christianity rose from the dead. We are the only religion that lays claims to resurrection. Now, Somebody say, well, but how do you know? Right? That now, quickly, quickly, go to 1 Corinthians 15, 8. Let me show you something here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8. Why resurrection is important? You, you, you would have heard me say a lot in this church that although we celebrate the cross, but if Jesus had not risen from the dead, what would have happened? We would have no faith. Look at it. This is important. Listen, please, pay attention. And hear me well, okay? I don't want to sound controversial, but hear me very well. The cross is not the main symbol of Christianity. It is the resurrection of Jesus. Because there were other thieves that were hung on the cross. So if Jesus had not resurrected, and I'll show you from scriptures, if Jesus had not resurrected, he would have been like one of the thieves that was hung on the cross. There would be no religion from that. Do you understand that? All right. 1 Corinthians 15, 18. Look at what Paul says. He says, uh, let, me, let me look at it, something here. Let's look at verse 12. 12. Let's look at verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? You know, some people were preaching that. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. Look at verse 14, very important. It says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is what? Is in vain, and your faith is also what? In vain. So Paul is saying that if Jesus had not resurrected, our preaching would have been in vain, Praise God. And what? Your faith would have also been what? Been in vain. Thank you. Thank you. So it's important to understand that the resurrection is the platform of Christianity. Not just the cross. Not just the cross. Because, listen carefully, it is in the resurrection that we become new creatures in Christ Jesus. So what we believe in, the gospel, the summary of the gospel, is the best the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And there is no religion on the earth that its founder claims resurrection. Not one. There's no religion on the earth where its founder claims to have risen from the dead. Now, but somebody say, well, uh, <laughs> how do we know that the resurrection is that important? Let's look at Luke's account, Luke 24. Luke 24. Let me show you something. And verse 46. 
Look at Luke 24, 46. Now, let's look at verse 44. Remember the road to Emmaus. Right? Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophet and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. How was the opening of the mind to understand the scripture happened? He explained to them. And he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. So Jesus said, The proof that what was written in the Psalms, the law, and the prophet, I am the Messiah, is resurrection. Now go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. So what's the one thing that stands out Christianity from other religion is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 28. No religion lays claim to resurrection. Matthew 28, 13. Now, if resurrection was not important, how come the Jews were bribing the people who guarded the tomb of Jesus to lie about it? Look at it. Let's go to Matthew 28. Uh, verse 12. And they had assembled with the elders, they consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say, His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this come to the governor's ear, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. Look at this. And this story was widely spread among the Jews. And it is today. That means the Jews understood that the resurrection of Jesus would, would finally agree with the claims that he was the Messiah. Because the final proof that a man was the Messiah was that the scripture have said he will rise on the third day. And so when Jesus rose, remember the Jews actually did not believe that he was the Messiah. Okay, you don't know that? You know the Jews don't believe that he is the Messiah. The Jews are still waiting for the Messiah. That's why it is very, very unfortunate that people would send money to go and build a temple in Israel. It's very funny. Sometimes pastors take your money there to go do something in Israel. I, I mean, I plan to go to Israel. I'm really hoping I can get to Israel next year. Not to go as a holy land. I, I just want to go to put sense to some of the things. I'm going well as a history place. And yeah, just to put sense to some of the things I'm studying in scriptures. More like, okay, just see, this is Judah. Okay, this is how Judah is. Not like when I go, I become more anointed. Or the sand there becomes more anointed. Or, you know, it it puts a special, well, they can give you a JP, you know, that you've gone to Israel. But, I mean, Paul tells us very clearly that the, the Israel which now is, is in bondage with her children. And that we are the true Israel of God. It's there in the Bible. Go and read Romans. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There's no need to buy sand from Tel Aviv. You will lose your money. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Or if you want to buy, when I'm going, let me know. <laughs> Multiple streams of income. Forget that thing. Forget that thing. Look at this. They lied about his resurrection. They bribed people. And that story. So, if you go there, some of the story you will hear was that, oh, he did not rise from the dead. They stole his body. Why would they lie about it? Because the resurrection is what lays claims finally to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, let's look at what Paul said about the resurrection. First Corinthians chapter 15. Um, can we do Acts first? Acts, please. Go to Acts chapter 1. You know, when Jesus did certain things, we didn't know why he did them. 
But thank God he did them. Acts 1 verse 1 to 3. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. You know, Luke wrote this. Until the day when he was taken up to heaven. And after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles to whom he had chosen. Look at verse 3. To this he also presented himself alive. After his suffering. By many convincing proofs. Appearing to them over a period of 40 days. And speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. You know. It was when I was studying this that this scripture really made sense to me. Jesus had to actually appear to people after he had risen for 40 days. So what that, hap- what that meant is that, listen very carefully to this, it was not only the apostles who saw the resurrected Christ, who bore witness to his resurrection. Let's look at Paul's rendering of this, 1 Corinthians 15. You see, when you study scripture like this, the, the whole Bible will begin to make a meaning to you. You know, ah, man, God is kind I remember going to a church one time and uh, the pastor was preaching. He was leading prayers. So he led prayers from this Acts chapter 1. Now, he's now remembering the prayer. So he said, pray that God will give you infallible proofs in the next 40 days. And we were praying. We were praying. And you know the truth of the matter is that when we talk about infallible proofs, you know what is the summation of it again? Money. The truth of the matter is that If a lot of Christians have money You would have solved a lot of their problem Because when you say infallible proofs It's like ah let me buy that car So people will know that The infallible proofs there was just the fact that Jesus showed himself To what? To a lot of people in a way That he could not be doubted Proofs that cannot be faulted Like he showed himself to Thomas And he says put your hands In the hole of my nails you see, if the resurrection was not true, people would not have died for it. If it was just a story, I mean, will you die for a rumor? When they want to kill you, they'll say, see, 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 it's a lie. Yeah, who said, who, who did, who said res- resurrection was? He man died. He just told us to lie like that. For the fact that the apostles would stake their life on the fact that Jesus rose, it was because they saw him risen and they could not but testify that he was risen from the dead. Now see what Paul said about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That is why the safest prayers to pray in the scriptures is to pray the Pauline epistles. That the eyes of our understanding may be enlightened. That we will know. It's knowledge. It's a knowledge problem the believer has. Praise God. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, verse 3 to 8. Oh, I like this. 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 For I delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received. Oh, we didn't read Titus. We read something in Titus. Go to... uh, Okay, let's just continue. For For I have delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received. What did he receive? What was the first thing Paul received? That Christ died for our sins. According to what? What was the scriptures there? The Old Testament. Every time you see the scriptures in the New Testament, know it's the Old Testament. Okay? Because then they haven't compiled the New Testament. So it says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to what? Can you see that everything Paul says, Paul references the scriptures? Right? He says, according to the scriptures. Because it was, the, you see, 
Let me explain this to you. Nobody knew Jesus. They had to use the scriptures to identify Jesus. Have you ever gone to pick someone from the airport and then they give you a description? Right? They'll say, okay, for instance, you call someone, say, I'll be at the airport and I would wear, um, you know, I, I say this funny thing. Uh, you know, most times I tell people, that's why when I go to the studio, I warn the people, don't do too many Photoshop on my face. You know, I've got some spots on my face. Leave it that way. Because by the time you now do Photoshop, I now look like I don't have any issue. My nose is straight. I'm yellow, nice. I now go and preach somewhere. And they send somebody to the airport to pick me. He's got my picture. He looks at me and says, no, no, no. This guy has spots. He can't be this guy. And then I'm left at the airport. But you see, the truth of the matter is that when you haven't seen someone for the first time, they'll give you some indications. Right? Like what? Maybe I'm wearing a brown top. I'm, you know, I have red hair. Now, what the person needs to look for amongst everybody that's coming out is what? Brown top and what? And red hair. Then, maybe you now tell the person, when I finally arrive, I will sit on a chair under something written MTN. So the person will have to look for what? The red hair, the brown top, and and make sure that you are sitting where? Because... Some people will also may have what? Brown, what did we say? What's the color of the hair again? Red hair, brown shirt, or brown hair, red shirt. Whatever you want to choose for the color. Now, you know the reason why? Because there were people who came and claimed that they were the Messiah. So the final proof that a man was the Messiah was the fact that he rose from the dead. Because you can't fake that one. So when Gamaliel was approaching them concerning the apostles, they said, listen, some people came and claimed he was the Christ, but when he died, his followers scattered with him. And this one came and took a lot of people after him. So the truth of the matter is that there were indicators in the scripture concerning Jesus the Messiah. But the final proof that this was the Messiah was that the scripture says that on the third day, he would rise again. And so even though people saw the signs of the Messiah in the life of Jesus, it was the resurrection that finally convinced them that this was the Messiah. So Paul speaking says, 1 Corinthians 15, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried on the third day according to the Scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, now Cephas is Peter, and to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Look at what Paul said. Most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. That means falling asleep here means that some are dead. So you know what Paul is saying? Paul said Jesus appeared to Peter, to the uh, 12 disciples. Then he appeared to 500 people at one time. And Paul says some of those people he appeared to, they are still alive as of the time he was writing. As of the time, sorry, this was being documented. Now, Paul knew the implications of that because he was he was the top breed of Judaism. He knew what it means to agree that Jesus rose from the dead. He was staking all of what he had on the fact that Jesus was resurrected. And Paul says there were people who were alive who were not even part of the disciples because they say, oh well, they are his disciples. There were people who are alive that were not part of the disciples that saw that Jesus was, was resurrected. Okay? So, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 
verse 23 to 33, 23 to 33, Second Corinthians chapter 11, Paul recounts his daily suffering for his conviction that Jesus appeared. Now, Paul was beaten, Paul was stoned, Paul was, all kinds of things happened to Paul. Now, you will not take that kind of beating if you are not convinced of what you are preaching. Do you think after preaching this sermon now, if I'm not convinced, then I go outside and somebody flogs me, huh? beats me, almost to the point of death, and say, ah, don't be preaching in defense of the Christian faith again. You think if I'm not convinced, tomorrow I'll come and preach. Next Sunday, I'll just come and say, ah, what's your topic today? Say, <laughs> favor. Eternal favor. Say, ah, what we're doing in defense of the Christian faith, say, leave defense first. It's a man who is alive that will defend the faith. The truth of the matter is that the fact that the disciples were willing to die for the faith means that they saw something that beating could not take away from them. It was not just a tale. It was not just a feeble. And that is why, saints, I tell you this. When you are actually convinced of this faith, nothing will separate you from the love of God. Not trial, not tribulation, not hunger, not famine. When you look at what separates people today from the local church and from the Christian faith, you understand that they have not come to the point of conviction. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. Alright, so, Christianity started as a result of Jesus being the Messiah, the Lord. This is as a result of the resurrection. Okay, many New Testament texts indicate Jesus' resurrection was on the third day. Alright, there is the need to contend for the faith. Jude chapter 1. Jude. Jude 1. Thank you, Lord. Are you getting blessed by this? This is good. Jude chapter 1. Jude 1. Jude, a born servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Look at what it says, verse 3. Beloved, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, this common salvation is what Paul refers to when he says, the first things I received. That common salvation, okay? I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. He says, this salvation was handed down once and for all to the saints. He says, contend for it. The word contend, in fact, uh, the word should be contend earnestly. If you have the amplifier, you can put it up for me, please. But the word contend means to fight for it. He says, contend for the faith. Praise God. Urgently appeal to and exhort you to contend for the faith which once for all handed down to the saints. The faith which is that sum of Christian belief which was delivered verbally to the holy people of God. Fight for it. Contend for the faith. You know, sometimes when you're teaching, I mean, I don't claim to be the only pastor teaching the truth. I mean, I'll never do that. You know, but sometimes it looks like, yeah, you're almost against everything everybody is doing. You know, sometimes you just have to say, you just have to sit back and say, you know what? This faith is worth contending for. Praise God. Oh, yes, it is worth contending for. Oh, there is nothing that sets my bone on fire than wrong interpretation of Scripture just for the selfish end of one man. Yeah. And we find that all the time. And many times we're not even careful to listen. Look at what he says when he talks to them about contending for the faith. He says, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Look at this. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and the Lord Jesus Christ. They take the grace of God 
I know today, it's not far-fetched how people teach the grace of God and teach it in such a way that there is no difference in the life of believers and those who are not born again. What will tell you? The grace of God. Huh? The grace of God. A man can cohabit and he's under grace. After all, his sins are forgiven once and for all. There's no more sin. Turn in the grace of God. They will never read the scripture that the scripture says the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness. You see, ask yourself, right? If you were a, uh, uh, an unbeliever, you were not born again, you were living a certain kind of life, you are now a believer. And the difference between you, the, now, the new you now, that's the, 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 your new version, and the former version, the difference is very little. Then there's an issue. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm going to talk about, you know, let me even go there, but you know that Christ, Christians lie, they lie freely now. You know, you, no, we, I mean, this is our church, it's not another person's church. That's why the first time I tell my members, don't lie to me, because I saw members lie. Why were you not in church? Just say, Pastor, I overslept. You understand? Or I was not happy, that's why I didn't come. Don't say I traveled. There's no need. And you know how it starts? It's those lies on the phone when they call you. Where are you? I'm at roundabout. You, you have lied a lot with calls that it is now second nature. The first time you lied, you, oh God, forgive me. Second time you lied. The next time I now lie, say, ah. Am I not at roundabout? Is, is where any, anywhere you see something round, is that not roundabout? Yeah, I mean, I was in a car. I mean, I was going, <laughs> it's been a while I entered public transport. Last time I entered public transport, I was in a car. And then, the lady behind me, you know, sometimes you hear these things in comedy and you think it's, and then they called her, and she said she's, ah, we have not left Port Harcourt, so, ah, we're getting close to worry. So I turned and looked at her. Ah, just, then, they, they called her again. She now said, ah, they are just leaving Port Harcourt now that the car spoiled. And now, so the driver now said, which car spoiled? <laughs> now, funny enough, Funny enough, when we were going, after she said that, after a while, the car spoiled, actually. So everybody was, was on her. So I called her side. So I said, you see, words are power. And let me tell you this. That's why when you are entering any vehicle, you speak what you want to say. That's why some vehicles have accidents. And they wonder what happened. You don't know what people say with their mouths. If for, for lies, there are people who have killed their parents for lies. Every time your mother is sick, every time your mother is sick, every time your mother is sick, to collect money from your uncle until that woman becomes sick. And that, that one, they can't, S-ray does not tell lies. They can't see lies. They will run machines through your mother. They won't know what is wrong. You'll be blaming spirits. It's your confessions. If you need help, just say, I need help. This is what I need help for. Don't take sickness on your body. This is a word of knowledge for someone. Don't take sickness on your body because you need help. Because by the time you get that money and the sickness comes, there won't be any cure because you brought it on yourself. Are you hear what I'm saying? Alright. Let's go back to defending the faith. So, he says there are people who come and they teach the grace of God Alright? As a line sense for all kinds of things. 
So, uh, okay, I think I'll stop here. I'll stop here because of our time. I, I'm going to, next Sunday, we'll talk about why we must defend the faith, and then we'll talk about Paul's, um, Paul's method of defending the faith. Okay, so let, let me just show you this now. Jude 1.3. It said, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. Now, observe this. That common salvation is the same thing Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's go back. We read it just now, but let's just see it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Praise God. Alright. Verse 3. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. What was the common salvation? That first message of the dead burial and resurrection of Jesus. So, I want us to establish two things. What is the thing that gives Christianity credibility? Please, I don't want you to forget those two things. Number one, Christianity is the only religion that claims that our founder rose from the dead. Why are we bold about that claim? Because not only does history shows it, a lot of eyewitnesses bore um, bore witness to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And listen, nobody would, would, would stake their life on a truth, on something that is false. Well, some people have said, well, it's hallucination. A lot of people saw, you know, saw those and it was just an imagery. I mean, there's no, no other record in history where people have had such massive hallucination that turned into a movement. As massive as ours. So I'd like you to go back Go over these scriptures that I thought. I'll talk about why we must defend the faith from next Sunday. But go over these scriptures again. Go over the message again. Listen to it over and over again. And what we're going to do this this whole period is just deepen our resolve about the Christian faith. Deepen our resolve about the Christian faith. We don't just want to be emotional about our faith. We want to be convinced about it. We want to be passionate about it. And we want to be able to intelligently defend our faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessedness of, of the faith that you have given to us in our salvation. And we ask God this morning that you deepen our hearts in the streets. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Alright, um, let's, let's uh, get our offerings ready. And I want to appreciate all of you who give consistently your tithes, your offerings, enable us to preach the gospel and do what God has called us to do. Don't forget your workers are all night. Please make sure you're available for that. And uh, God, God bless you. All right. Let's pray over our offerings and our seeds. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for our givings this morning. We thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. We encourage you to share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.thepastormax.ng. We would like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng. Or you can call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.